this to be the Garden of Gethsemane. It would be a location between uh, the upper room and uh, opposite the Mount of Olives. Some say it's right there in the Kidron Valley. It'd be a nice walled area. More than likely, the disciples have visited here before. So it's not just some random garden. Perhaps it belonged to somebody who was sympathetic to Jesus' ministry. And he goes to this garden. It's a quiet place to think, to pray, to reflect. And so they go to this location. And he says to all of his disciples, sit here while I pray. The assumption that is that they are to pray also, to sit and to pray. But Jesus takes three more disciples with him to a separate location there in the garden. And he takes Peter, James, and John. These are sometimes referred to as the inner three of the disciples. They were with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration when they saw Jesus in all of his glory, in all of his power and majesty. There's also something unique about these three. They have made bold statements in the fact that they would faithfully follow Jesus. We know Peter because Peter just made his statement, right? Lord, even if it's, if it's fighting, I'm going to do it. I'm going I'm to stay with you, even if it means death. James and John did that also. James and John are known as the sons of thunder. And they, earlier in the Gospel of Mark, were arguing amongst themselves, and they wanted to be greatest in the kingdom. And the other disciples were arguing with them, and Jesus says, no, 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 no. If you want to be great, you need to become least. You need to humble yourselves. And Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking for. And he says, will you be willing to drink of the cup that is awaiting me? And what do James and John say? Oh yeah, I can handle that, no problem. We already are seeing a glimpse here of Jesus saying, okay, you inner three, you who have been bold in saying that you're gonna be faithful to me, come away with me and watch and pray. So he takes these three, Peter, James, and John, and he goes a little ways from the other disciples. And it says, he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. This is Jesus. Mark is recording for this, this for us. And Mark is very economical in his use of words. Things are short, succinct. Uh, there's not necessarily a lot of explanation. But in what he shares, it's very powerful. It's direct. These words are that way. Jesus are. Mark says that Jesus was distressed and greatly troubled. These words are extreme and they emphasize this dread and fear. Jesus is distressed and troubled. It's an apprehension. It's a dread because of what he knows is coming. It's not the dread of the unknown, but it's the dread of what he knows is coming. And he's known it for a while, but now it is here, and he is overwhelmed by it. We haven't even gotten to the physical aspect yet of Jesus' crucifixion, but already, emotionally and spiritually, Jesus is completely overwhelmed. And perhaps that is an even greater struggle than the physical. Because how often are you and I tormented by mental dread of something without any fear of, of physical pain, right? You think, what are you talking about? I'm talking about an appointment or a meeting that you have that you're not looking forward to. A conversation that you know needs to take place. And you're overcome with the dread, the anticipation, the wondering, oh, this is going to be hard. You know it's coming. 
and it's debilitating. When I was in high school, played football, Wednesdays were always the hard conditioning day. And everybody knew it was the middle of the week. It was going to be a hard day at practice. You better believe that by the time I woke up Wednesday morning, through class, through lunch, which I didn't eat that much of for certain reasons, coming to practice when I knew there'd be a hard practice, that was on my mind consistently throughout the day. I was dreading it, in a sense, of the difficulty that was awaiting. To a greater extent and much more severe, Jesus is doing the same thing. He knows what's coming, and he is overwhelmed, and he is distressed and troubled. And he even comments on this to his disciples. He says to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Jesus is so overcome with suffering, mental anguish, that it's as if he's going to die. The other, uh, other gospel writers describe how it was so painful that there were sweat drops like blood. Now, whether he was actually bleeding or it was just a, a description of the agony of Jesus, we see here how he is overcome with very real suffering. Suffering because of what he's going to endure, but suffering also because of what he's going to bear. Here's a man who knew no sin, yet the entirety of every sin from the beginning of time until he comes back, will be placed on his shoulders. Think of the weight of that. Think of the relationship between he and his father, who is of pure eyes that can look on wickedness, and yet here he's the one who's going to become wicked for those who are going to abandon and betray him. We do not fully grasp the suffering that Jesus endured for us. Yes, we can read the physical aspects, and we will get to that in a few weeks, but the emotional and spiritual turmoil that is at work within this man's fully human heart is astounding. He goes a little further, verse 35 and he falls on the ground. Have you ever been so despondent, so overwhelmed that there's this physical reaction of falling down? Can't get out of bed. You don't want to move. You don't want to do anything. You're just so overwhelmed with grief, dread, that you just physically fall and falter. Jesus is overcome. He's overwhelmed with very real suffering. And he says, take it from me. Very real suffering is followed up by a very real submission. Jesus, in spite of what we might think of a martyr standing boldly before his death, is one here in his humanity who has absolutely overcome. One author says this, Why does Jesus, who has foreseen his death and marched resolutely to Jerusalem to meet it, now quail before it? The answer must be that Jesus is aware of facing something more than simply his own death. In Mark 10.45, he spoke of the purpose of the Son of Man, to give his life as a ransom for many. That was the objective of his purpose. And now here we read the subjective experience of it. Jesus is not just some shell, 
some plastic God that is just set up there who's unfeeling and uncaring, but rather he is fully God and fully man. And in his humanity, he is experiencing the widest range of emotions and anguish that a human could ever feel. Very real suffering, but also very real submission. We look at verse 36. He cries out, or excuse me, verse 35. As he falls to the ground, he prays. Here's this, this glimpse between Jesus and his father and this interaction. You have to remember that they've been together forever. <laughs> father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they've been relating in love with one another forever. Think about that. That'll blow your mind. Trying to wrap your understanding around that. But here is the Father and the Son who've been interacting in love with the Spirit forever. And he cries out to his Father that this hour might pass from him. And we have just a little bit of his prayer. The other gospel writers record more, but Mark just cuts to the chase. He asks this, Jesus does, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Jesus uses this term of intimate relationship, Abba, You've probably heard it referred to as daddy. It's not quite like that. It's more like the relationship and conversation between a father and his oldest son who is the inheritor of everything. It's the conversation that happens behind closed doors that nobody else hears. It's this, it's this direct conversation. It's where your dad might be known as Mr. Smith to everybody else, but to you, he's, he's dad. And Jesus here is coming to his father and he's saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Can, you can do all things and you can make this cup pass from me. And he says, remove this cup from me. This idea of a cup is something that you will drink, you will participate in. It's, it's, it's this activity. Jesus says, remove this suffering from me, this, this event, this ordeal that I'm going to go through. He says, remove it from me. All things are possible for you. You are the God of the universe. You are the almighty, all-knowing, infinite Father who is sovereign over all and has been and always will be. Take this from me. But yet, look at Jesus' next phrase. Yet not what I will, but what you will. We love praying the first part of this prayer. God, you can do anything. You are all powerful. You are all knowing. Lord, take this sickness from me. Lord, take this circumstance from me. Take this difficult relationship from me. Lord, fix this thing that only you can fix. And Lord, I know that you can do it. But Lord, if you desire to leave this difficulty in my life, I know it's your plan and your purpose according to your will. We love praying the first part, but we struggle praying the second part. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus here is willingly submitting himself to his Father's plan. Jesus in his humanity says, Lord, take this from me, but yet... Your plan, your sovereignty, you're in charge, not me. It's not about me. It's not about what I want, but it's about what you want. You hear me say that often. Life isn't about you. Life isn't about you. It's 
about Jesus. Do you know what Jesus says? It wasn't even about him. It was about glorifying the Father. Jesus himself willingly submits himself to his Father to bring glory to him. And so he is demonstrating and he himself is doing this. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus' desire to obey the Father is stronger than his desire to himself. Jesus' desire to obey the Father is stronger than his desire to serve himself. And we love to say, your will be done when things are going great. But when things are difficult, it's where the rub is. Yet not what I will, but what you will, Lord, even if it means the sickness remains. This relationship is still difficult. This thing that I want fixed won't be fixed, that you are using it according to your plan and your purpose. Jesus' prayer is not the result of a calm absorption into an all-encompassing divine presence, one author said. It's not that Jesus is saying, oh Lord, this is great and I'm just going to become one with you. No, this is an intense struggle with the frightful reality of God's will and what it means to fully submit to it. Sometimes fully submitting to God is painful. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it goes against our very fiber of a being a fallen human being. But yet, it's what we're called to because we are not God. And He is. The suffering is real and the submission is real. Jesus demonstrates how he has not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And we see this contrast between Jesus' willing submission and the failure of the disciples. Look at verse 37. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now cut a little break to the disciples. It's late. <laughs> it's been a busy week. You got to remember, they just had a big meal with several cups of wine. As the human tendency goes, long week, late night, full bellies, time to, ta time to take a nap. But what was highlighted here was that these three said, no, Lord, we will follow you. Sometimes following Jesus isn't going to war, it's watching and praying. And they themselves could not do this. They wanted to. Jesus says the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And Mark recounts for us two more times. Again, he went away and he prayed the same words. Father, not my will, but your will be done. Let this cup pass from me. And again, he came and he found them sleeping for their eyes were very heavy and they did not know what to answer him. They had no excuse. Here I am, Lord, I'm asleep. Verse 41, and he came a third time and said to them, are you still sleeping? Take and taking your rest. It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed to the hands of sinners. So whether they could see Judas or Jesus knew Judas was on the way, he said, my time of pleading with the Father and you failing to watch and pray is over. Rise, let us be going. My betrayer is at hand. Jesus' faithful submission to the will of his Father is highlighted in stark contrast with the failure of the disciples to simply stay awake. Those men who are so resolute to stand with Jesus all of a sudden can't even stay awake and pray. 
How will they stand with him when something much more is asked of them? The point is, is that they won't. They will soon flee or Peter will deny Jesus. But yet Jesus willingly submits himself to the will of the Father to suffer on their behalf. Jesus has come not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He is coming to his Father and he pleads, Lord, take this cup from me. But yet he understands that may not be God's plan. One author said this, God wants us to come to him with our needs. He wants us to express our desires and to pour out our concerns and anxieties before him. Yet he calls on us to trust him. Recognizing that he has sovereign control over every situation will bring us safely home. And like Jesus, we need to pray not what I want, but what you want. It's easy to pray that when what we think God wants is something that we would enjoy. (laughs) That we think would be a blessing. Lord, thank you. But sometimes when we pray, Lord, not what I want, but what you want, it involves difficulties. It involves the painful work of killing sin in our lives, of confronting sin in somebody else's life, of standing for truth in the middle of a world that does not want to hear truth, of saying, Lord, Everything within me wants to act selfishly this way, yet it's not what I want, but it's what you want. And so, Lord, help me to put on love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Help us to submit ourselves to what you want for us. Jesus is the suffering servant king who endures very real suffering and very real submission. As we think of this idea, three points of application here. Number one, It is good and right for us to dwell on the suffering of Jesus to help us understand his sacrifice for us. It's good and right for us to dwell on the suffering of Jesus to help us understand his sacrifice for us. Sometimes somebody will do something for us and we don't realize what the cost is and we flippantly say thank you or we don't fully appreciate it. Or other times we've done something and somebody says, I will do that for you and we know exactly what it takes. Anytime somebody watches my children, thank you. (laughs) I know what it takes. (laughs) Anytime somebody does a job or responsibility for you that is a lot of hard work, thank you. I know what it takes. Think of Pastor James and Desi and family when they would clean the church. And uh, Micah's sitting right next to him. And Micah, as a deacon, said, we need to free them up so they can do ministry. And Micah said, we'll help facilitate people cleaning. And several of you jumped in and helped clean. And I think you had a new appreciation for all that they did because you experienced it yourself. What is the point of this? It's the point that when we stop and we slow down and we reflect and think what Jesus did for us, what he suffered and experienced for us, It's good for us because it humbles us and it reminds us of how grateful we should be. Not that we dwell on it in an inappropriate or out of balance way, but that we understand the suffering that Jesus went through was very real. Very real. And that ties into our second point is this of application, that the agony of Jesus demonstrates his humanity and the way he identifies with us in emotions and pain. 
This is what sets Christianity apart from the other world religions and false ideas, is that not only do we have a God, and that our God became one of us, but he suffered for us. And he suffered us to the fullest extent. Anytime that you are tempted to think, well, Jesus doesn't know. Yes, he does, and he knows more than you. We've been wronged. We've been betrayed. We've been, uh, we've been offended. We've been treated poorly. We've suffered physically. We've sucker, suffered the loss of a loved one. We have ongoing distress and pain and chronic illness and all these things that not all of us know everything about, but Jesus does. For Jesus experienced something that none of us ever will. What it means to bear the weight of the sin of the entirety of mankind. To be perfect and yet to become sin. I love what Hebrew says, that he was tempted in every way that we are. He experienced life in every way that we have, yet he has done it without sin. Jesus is fully God, but he's also fully human. And in his humanity, he suffered and we can experience. We know that he knows pain and sorrow and agony. And so when Jesus says, come to me because I care for you, he means it because he's experienced it. Dread, anguish, being to the point where you feel like you're so overwhelmed you can do nothing. Jesus has been there. Jesus knows. Jesus has suffered for you and I. Lastly, the cost of following Jesus involves submitting ourselves to his Father's will, even when it may bring difficulties. The cost of following Jesus Just as Jesus submits himself to the Father's will, we are called to do the same. We are called to do the same, even when it may bring difficulties. Jesus isn't going to ask you to do something that he himself isn't willing to do, hasn't already done. And that's important for us. Jesus has endured suffering and hardship. And we might think, oh, this is hard following after Jesus. Yes, it is. But it was hard dying on the cross, enduring pain. Jesus bids us to come and to die, to deny ourselves, and to follow after him. The cost of following Jesus, it means there will be difficulties. But yet we submit ourselves to his Father's will. It's like Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is, and we often fill that blank in with so many other things. And not necessarily bad things. To live is family. To live is good food, trips, work, material things. You name it, we can fill in the blank that we find our identity and our worth in what we live for in these things rather than in Christ. But yet, just as Jesus says, yet not my will but your will, so may we also say, Not to live is me, but to live is Christ. To die is gain. Jesus' submission to the Father's will demonstrates his faithfulness as the suffering servant king who willingly offers himself up for sinners. Everything that Jesus experienced here in way, shape, or form is what we deserve. This agony, this pain. Yet he took our place. And my prayer is, is that we continue to look at the life of Jesus and understand what he's done for us. 
that we would, in our heart of hearts, look to Christ and say, you would do that for me? And to realize, yes, he already has. Father, we thank you for Christ. We thank you for the suffering that he endured for us as the perfect Savior, as the suffering servant king. Lord, help us. Help us to willingly submit ourselves to your will, that we would deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow after Christ, but knowing that he knows what it's like, the pain, the sorrow, the agony. Lord, that though we may think nobody else knows, Christ does. He's experienced it. He's lived it. Lord, he did so willingly. Lord, we thank you for Christ and his sacrifice that you made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we could become the righteousness of God. Lord, we love you. pray all this in your son's name. Amen. As we conclude this morning, just a word of benediction from Jude 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, and now, and forever. Amen. Have a good week. Uh, we are having prayer meeting and Bible study night. We'd love to see you at 5 o'clock. If not, we'll see you next Sunday. Lord be with you.